Welcome to the NM Talks Healthcare Podcast. On this podcast, you'll find thought-provoking insight into critical topics surrounding the healthcare industry. Each episode features Nelson Mullins healthcare attorneys and special guests who offer a variety of experience in healthcare. Hello, and thank you for joining us for this episode of NM Talks Healthcare Podcast. My name is Kara Ludwig, and I'm joined by my colleague, Alyssa Riggins, in today's discussion of employee classification in the healthcare industry, W-2 employee or independent contractor, and why it matters. I'm a healthcare regulatory and transactional attorney in our firm's Raleigh, North Carolina office. And Alyssa, I'll let you give a little bit of background about yourself. Thanks, Kara. My name is, as Kara mentioned, Alyssa Riggins, and I'm also Kara's neighbor here in the Raleigh office. I'm an employment defense attorney, which means that I represent employers in employment disputes and litigation. I also advise employers on day-to-day employment issues as they arise. Alyssa, this podcast topic came up initially because we were chatting in the hallway one day about employee classification issues and just how easy it can be to unintentionally misclassify someone, even when obviously an employer isn't trying to. So to sort of set the stage for our discussion today, can you just tell us what is the difference between a contract employee and a W-2 employee? Sure. Practically speaking, a contract employee is typically someone called an independent contractor who's hired on a 1099 basis. There are key wage and benefit differences between a contract worker and a W-2 employee. For example, a W-2 employee is often entitled to health care benefits, paid time off, and has to taxes deducted from their paycheck. This is not the case for independent contractors. But legally, one of the key differences between a contract employee and a W-2 employee is the level of control that the employer has over the worker, along with the time spent working. Generally, a contractor should be brought in to complete a specific task or project, either for a short or defined period of time, or is performing a task that's unrelated to the primary purpose of the employer's business. Generally speaking, the longer the term, the employer should have less control over the contract employee's work. Thanks, Alyssa. That's a helpful explanation and background. Even as simple as it sounds when you're explaining it, I can see how employers might overlook this distinction sometimes. For instance, I'm thinking during the public health emergency, the healthcare industry was focused, and appropriately so, on managing a pandemic. Healthcare employers were facing provider shortages and things like employee misclassification just weren't top of mind. Now we're transitioning out of the public health emergency. And by the way, our last podcast by two of my colleagues on the end of the public health emergency is excellent. If any of our listeners want to check that out, I recommend it. Um, But as our country is transitioning out of the public health emergency, healthcare employers have a lot of important things to think about. So why should they focus on this? Why does classification of employees matter specifically in healthcare? That's a great question, Kara. And I think it's because the classification of a worker directly impacts that worker's wages and benefits. And these issues inherently create risk under both federal and state wage and hour laws. 
And this is actually true for all employers. In fact, a recent Guardian article noted that globally, Nike's liability for employee misclassification is likely over $500 million. And this liability mostly arises when an individual is classified as a contractor, but really should be classified as an employee, because then they're missing out on all those benefits that we chatted about earlier. But for the healthcare industry specifically, the Federal Department of Labor, which has seen an influx in its ability to bring enforcement actions in recent years, flagged the healthcare industry as a prime target for investigation. And with the rise of contract nursing that you just talked about through the COVID-19 pandemic and other contract positions during COVID, healthcare employers, specifically large healthcare employers, should be concerned about a federal Department of Labor investigation. Obviously, Alyssa, based on what you're saying, the Department of Labor is paying more attention to the healthcare sector. But can you help us understand how significant is that enforcement activity? Should healthcare employers really be concerned? I hate to say it, but healthcare employers should be concerned. In 2022, the Federal Department of Labor recovered $213 million in back wages for misclassification. And like I said earlier, They've now declared open season for the healthcare industry. But this $213 million is actually only the amount of back wages recovered by the Federal Department of Labor. In addition to the Federal Department of Labor, nearly every state has its own Department of Labor or other enforcement agency that also investigates misclassification claims with the same power to bring audits, suits, or issue fines. And while the biggest issue and risk does usually come from state or federal investigations and enforcement actions, individuals themselves who believe they're misclassified often have the ability to bring suit either in state or federal court for alleged violations of wage and hour laws. These violations of wage and hour laws are often really costly, and most statutes mandate double or triple damages for violations and mandatory payments of a plaintiff's attorney's fees. So it adds up really quickly. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, I can definitely see how that would quickly add up. Well, given that potential liability, which can be, to your point, a lot, I'm thinking for our listeners, it would help to know what types of things that the Department of Labor would be looking at when it's investigating a potential misclassification. Lissa, are there certain factors you could discuss for us that determine whether a worker should be classified as an employee or as an independent contractor? Sure, and I wish I could tell you there was a clear black and white answer here, but we're always operating with employee classification in shades of gray. But here are six factors that a court or the Department of Labor will look at when they're trying to determine whether an employer has misclassified an employee. So the first thing they're going to look at is the degree of control that the employer exerts. You know, is the employer setting schedules or hours, things like that? The relative degree of investment by both the employer and the worker the degree of the employer's control of profit and loss. You know, does the individual uh, have control over how much money they're making, or is this some sort of set salary? 
they're also going to look at the skill and initiative required to perform the job, um, the permanency of the relationship. So again, you know, the longer it goes on, um, you know, that can be a sign going towards an employment factor, or is it more a short-term project, or is it actually exclusively project-based? And then lastly, but one of the more important things that a court or the Department of Labor will look at is whether the service being provided by the individual is an integral part of the business that the employer is in. Listening to those um, factors, Alyssa, one of the ones that stuck out to me was the relationship permanency. Again, in my mind, I keep going back to the public health emergency. During that time, healthcare providers were relying on a lot of short-term provider contracts just to keep up with the demand for services. And in a lot of cases, those short-term contracts probably got renewed maybe several times. So with these project-based employees, is there a threshold of how many renewals there can be or what length of time can safely pass before an employer really needs to transition someone to a W-2 employee status? So unfortunately, Kara, there's no one-size-fits-all answer, and it's going to depend wildly depending on the factors that we discuss. Once those six factors that we talked about, you know, tip on the sliding scale towards uh, being an employee, the classification should be changed. Uh, it's important to note, too, that employers may have company policies related specifically to the time frame a contractor can work. And I know during the COVID-19 healthcare emergency, a lot of those policies, you know, they went by the wayside just to provide the critical patient care that people needed. And that's certainly understandable. But it may be time to take a look and see if you do have those policies. And if so, make sure that you're abiding by the time schedule that your company has already set. So it sounds like it really is a very fact-specific analysis. It absolutely is. Well, so far, Alyssa, we've talked about the differences in W-2 employees versus independent contractors in terms of scope and duration of work. We've talked about why the Department of Labor is scrutinizing the healthcare industry and about the types of things that the government will be looking at when it's assessing employee classification. But at the end of the day, what is the liability for misclassifying an employee? How significant are the potential penalties? The potential penalties are significant. You're looking at, in addition to those penalties, fines, back taxes, unpaid wages, sick, or vacation time. And all of this can and likely will be trebled or at a minimum doubled under state or federal law. So in addition to employers will be likely liable for the fees and costs incurred by an individual to bring a suit or the costs related to an enforcement action. And this is whether there's a private suit or a government enforcement action. So for an example, if an investigation found that an employee was classified as a contractor and not an employee improperly, and the differences ta in taxes owed, vacation pay, and all of that was $10,000, the employer will likely end up paying $30,000 plus any costs and attorney's fees associated with the investigation. I have to be honest, that sounds daunting. 
So what does this mean looking backwards? Do healthcare facilities need to correct past misclassifications? Yes, they should. Enforcement can be retroactive and companies may be responsible for back pay. I mean, remember, just the Federal Department of Labor alone collected over $213 million in back pay last year. There are various statute of limitations that can limit the exposure to a look back period. So again, hopefully I'm not all doom and gloom here, um, but for example, under the federal wage and hour laws, the FLSA, the statute of limitations to bring an enforcement action or a claim is two years. So you look at that two year time frame. But it's also important to remember that with every paycheck an individual receives that's misclassified as a contractor, but that employee should be an actual W-2 employee, the clock starts over again. So that two-year period resets with every paycheck. If I'm understanding correctly, then if an employee employer misclassified an employee, but the last time the employer paid that misclassified employee was in, say, December 2020, it's likely that the statute of limitations has run. But if the employee was just paid last month, the employer would still be within that two-year look-back period. Is that right? Yes, so that's correct under the federal FLSA law, and many state laws have that similar two-year statute of limitations period. Um, some states do have a longer statute of limitations period for wage and hour claims, um, so it would be important to talk to your uh, local employment law attorney to figure out what your safe harbor is there. Even with the best of intentions, sometimes obviously we all mess up. So if one of our listeners has been thinking about the examples you provided, Alyssa, and is concerned that maybe they've misclassified an employee, what should they do? At the risk of sounding self-serving, they should call their attorney. Uh, an employment attorney will be able to help them guide through the process with as little liability as possible. That's great. Thank you. Uh, we are almost out of time, and I feel like we've spent most of our discussion focusing on sort of a retrospective analysis. But what about looking forward? What procedures could healthcare facilities implement today to avoid misclassifying employees in the future? So, Kara, that's a great question. And one thing that I recommend to all of my clients is to do regular audits of your employee roster and keep these factors in mind. Um, and that'll help you identify any possible danger zones for contractors that maybe should be classified as an employee. And then if you have any questions, feel free to pick up the phone and give your friendly employment lawyer uh, a call. We're always happy to discuss this topic. Alyssa, thank you so much for spending time with us today, and thank you to our listeners for joining us for our discussion of employee classification in the healthcare industry. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode of NM Talks Healthcare.